Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Things are going to get real hard, but I welcome the challenge. It's going to get exciting. Make sure you're prepared for it. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. You know, more and more of the amazing guests on Suncast are coming via you, the listener. Today's exceptional entrepreneur, Rick Ivins, was introduced to me by Chris Grablitz, who happens to work for one of Rick's companies. Rick and I have had numerous calls, emails, and face-to-face discussions about today's topic, so I thought it appropriate that we bring him on the show to share about two very important things to the solar industry, value engineering to improve project quality and training up good people in your organization. Rick is another infinite learner just like you, so make sure you've got your pen and paper ready for good note-taking. Of course, you can find the show notes along with more great founder stories and solar startup advice in 140 other episodes archived over at mysuncast.com. While you're there, check out the Suncast Tribe, my inner circle of listeners and trusted advisors who receive exclusive content that goes beyond the scope of these Suncast episodes. Please click on the Become a Member button to learn more. For now, get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. All right, Solar Warriors, we have a fun episode today with another East Coast engineer turned entrepreneur, Mr. Rick Ivins, founder and CEO of Pure Power Engineering and PV Pros, two companies in New Jersey that are tackling the problems of deploying projects that are optimized and value engineered. Rick is an avid listener of Suncast as well as a member of our tribe. So we're happy to have another tribe member back to back here on the show. Rick, welcome to Suncast. Thank you very much. Excited to be here. Indeed, man. We've been trying to get this episode together for quite a while. I appreciate your patience. You're just off the heels of SPI Boston. How does that feel? Uh, That show growing? SPI has been doing a lot of shows lately. Spirits are very high in the industry, as everyone's been talking about. A lot of the obstacles about legislation and tax things, a lot of those concerns have really come into focus now. We know what we're dealing with going forward in 2019 and beyond, and everyone's ready to attack, and spirits are very high. Fantastic. I regret that I couldn't be there with you guys this year, but uh, I heard great, great report that, yeah, as you said, spirits are high. Yeah, as we know, the Northeast in particular is a segment of the market that is just crushing right now. I imagine that both Pure Power and PV Pros is uh, is cranking into 2019. Well, before we get into uh, you know these two companies specifically, I'd love to give a listener a little bit more understanding of how this all came about for you. What was your first exposure to solar power? How did you know that this was where you wanted to focus your career? 
Oh, well, actually, probably around 2005 is when I realized I wanted to get into renewable energy. At that time, I was a few years into my career, just working at an MEP engineering firm, being an electrical engineer that designed buildings. And that was a fun job, but I was also a hippie and an environmentalist at that time. And I wanted to try to find a way to combine my nerdy engineer side with my hippie environmentalist side. And it figured that uh, renewable energy was a good answer to that. So it took me a few years after I wanted to get into it until I ultimately landed in the industry in 2009. But that's uh, pretty much how it came about. Right on. And you started out with Fister Energy, right? What was your role at Fister and how did that first job sort of prepare you as you think about the way that your progression has moved along? Sure. It was really a wake-up call because when I went to Pfister, I became in charge of both engineering and project management. So unlike my previous experience where it was just engineering and then handing over the drawings to be built by someone else and uh, that's about it, mm-hmm. now I had to t- design it and then follow it through and build it with my own crews. And that first project that I built after design was a wake-up call. I realized what you show on the drawings may look nice and simple, but trying to go out there and actually install it is a whole nother challenge. So <laughs> constructability is something that I really started to learn at that point and understand that code compliance that I thought was the goal to design a system that's code compliant. That's not really the finish line. That's just the starting line. That's the minimum requirements for it to be a legal design. What do you do beyond that for constructability, value engineering, optimizing for other aspects of operation? That's where I really started to see there's a lot more to it than just engineering from an office to code. It's fun to hear the similarities, you know, and for any of you who are longtime listeners, you've heard some of the previous interviews we've done with uh, third-party engineering leaders, and it's a common thread. Engineers who have this uh, realization, this wake-up moment, that what they're building in CAD isn't necessarily equated to what's actually getting built in the in the real world. And there's often a disconnect between those two arms. So you, in 2009, you moved over to Fister. And in 2012, if I've got my history correct, you started Pure Power Systems. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Okay. And Pure Power was really focused on third-party engineering and O&M for developers that you'd built relationships with. Do you, wanna, do you care to elaborate? Pure Power Systems at the time started out as doing engineering or installations or O&M, all those technical services that developers and EPCs might need to sub out. I wasn't a salesman, so I didn't go the route of trying to develop my own projects, but rather let my developer partners land the projects, and then I'd help them execute any of those three steps in the project. So, Rick, it's interesting. You came out of the sort of building design side of the business as an MEP. I presume that you probably have and had a different perspective on the role of an engineer, as you just discussed, in the deployment of projects. I'd be very curious to hear how the development of tool sets from both your MEP time as well as being at Fister really helped you now as an entrepreneur and leader as you decided to step out into the new role for Pure Power? Once I started to see that there's a lot more to engineering and even installations and O&M and management, 
I realized I needed to learn a lot more. So I really dove in from about 2006 to 2016, started going crazy with reading books, listening to audiobooks around the clock, going to grad school, doing multiple grad school programs at the same time at night while working full time, and just trying to build a, a skill set of knowledge about all these things outside of just engineering. And started to learn that all these things are interconnected and you can't be a great engineer or really any other role if you just have tunnel vision on what you're doing. You really need to, to focus on all the other things just off in the peripherals and learn about as much as you can because it all tied together. And that's something that really has helped us and helped us as companies grow is that I share all that knowledge with everyone on my teams and we really think of things outside of the box and are able to do a lot because we focus so much on both myself and my team really values that education and constant learning. You're a little bit of an underachiever, if I, if I do say so myself. <laughs> and, and all the while, starting a family, if I'm not mistaken. You've started a family and you've thus uh, spun out uh, Pure Power Systems into two companies. Pure Power Engineering, as I mentioned in the beginning, and PV Pros, both focused on their independent sort of contributions to the industry. I'd love to hear from your perspective, what's been sort of the easiest and hardest things? What did you expect would go well and it didn't? What did you think was going to be very hard and it turned out it was actually a, an easy road? Well, first, the hardest part was making the decision to split up the company that was originally Pure Power Systems. Mm. Things were going real well the first few years. All three divisions were growing. But as they were growing, we were getting stretched thin. Still a small company trying to run what's really three different businesses, an engineering company, an installation business, and an O&M business. And trying to do all three it meant that we're stretched thin and we can't do as well as we really want to do on any one. So it's a really tough decision figuring out what do we need to do here. I think we need to slim things down here and specialize a little bit more. If we're going to do that, what are we going to focus on and what are we going to leave out? Engineering was the one thing that was in such high demand and our clients wanted more and more because we were engineering so uniquely compared to the others in the industry. We knew that that needed to be one of the two. And then deciding between construction and O&M, that was the tougher choice. And pretty much what it came down to was that in the installations, we were installing top-notch systems with great workmanship. But there's a lot of companies out there that were also installing really good systems and have their workmanship figured out. Mm -hmm. However, on the O&M side of things and the technical asset management side, that's was the youngest and least developed aspect of our solar industry. And we figured that that's something that where we can really bring some more value by bringing our technical expertise to it and helping further it in the industry. Additionally, I spoke how important that construction experience was to helping us learn how to engineer to reduce capital costs, reduce right. risk during construction. Well, we really need to do the same thing for the operation of the system. The purpose of going through all this trouble of designing and building the systems isn't just to build it and walk away and build the next one. We're doing it so we have a system operating for 25 years. But a lot of people kind of thought that was the afterthought. And we really wanted to put the spotlight back on that and really understand how the systems were performing and what the problems were and how can we address those issues up front in the design. So right now, 
it seems obvious what the answer was at this point. But at the time, it was actually really difficult to decide how did we want to go about doing that. So right now, we have Pure Power Engineering that does the engineering, and PV Pros is doing the O&M, owner's engineering, and technical services for the solar assets. There are two separate distinct companies, but lots of knowledge sharing between the two. Very cool. I'm wondering how you surround yourself with good advisors such that you were able to make these decisions or gain insight. Was it something where you, you know, it's just you and perhaps your wife and your executive team just thinking about it? Or do you have mentors? And how did you really go about addressing this when, when you were in that sort of dark night of trying to figure out how to, how to really focus down these companies? Sure. A combination of hundreds of mentors from all those authors of all the books that I read and just remembering all their advice and lessons, as well as just from the start, surrounding myself with really great key team members and just having open dialogue and making sure we, you know, debate these things. Don't get uh, upset if we disagree on things. Just try to get the thoughts out and, you know, just come together, combining all that knowledge of my virtual mentors of all the books with the great team members I had early on. And we just were able to talk through it and figure it out. And kind of a case of whatever we decided probably would have worked out in the end because yeah. you just course correct as you go. And... You know, there's so many forks in the road, it's not necessarily obvious what the path through all the forks are, but you kind of figure it out as you go. And that's what we did. There seem to be a lot of companies these days, you know, when you started third-party engineering uh, as a service through Pure Power, it was somewhat new to the solar industry, obviously not new, broadly speaking. But these days, you get a lot of competition, maybe not in New Jersey per se, but certainly across the nation, there are lots of folks focusing on it. I'm wondering, how do you stand out as a company that's trying to offer a, uh, a value-added service? Is this something that you're perpetually sort of remain as a niche regional player? Is it something that can scale? And what did you mean by engineering so uniquely? So first we have well, we have 21 engineers in Pure Power uh, pumping out these designs for developers and EPCs, and they don't have their own in-house engineering resources. And you may be asking, well, why is that? I, you hear of a lot of EPCs that, and developers that do try to engineer in-house. And I find that a lot of them go through a cycle that when they're smaller, they do engineer in-house. But once they start growing and reaching a certain size and volume, it's tough for them to continue to grow their engineering staff to keep up with the volume. And at a certain point, the most important thing for the developers is to just line up the projects and knock them down to keep their overhead low, to just know they can go through a high volume and not try to pinch an extra penny here and there to slow things down and take risk on engineering, they just need to know that engineering is going to be done right, done quick and reliable, and they're not going to get in trouble with it. And they're not going to have to spend their overhead time hiring and training and building an engineering department. So as the EPCs and the developers grow, we find they actually engineer less and rely on companies such as ourselves more and more. Well, Rick, I agree with you. It's definitely clear that as a company scales, there's always the uh, build versus buy argument internally in the companies that I see uh, increasingly that are doing well in the development side. 
are beginning to outsource that third-party engineering piece. And it turns out that the engineers actually enjoy working in a shop that is entirely focused on engineering without the, the infighting and kingdom building that can happen in an overgrown development company. But we'll leave that for another time, another conversation. For now, we'll move into hot or hype. As a listener, you're familiar with this, but I'll let those who aren't familiar in on how this works. I'll name a specific topic, and you spend about a minute on whether or not you think it's hot or all hype, maybe, and why you think so. So we'll start with microgrids, and I often say microgrids within the context of being core infrastructure to the the larger grid. Right now, they're cold. They're going to be heating up in future years, but not quite yet. Well, there's a lot happening with microgrids in the Northeast, but... I'm always surprised at the answers, whether uh, folks' perspective is hot or not. Be that as it may, we'll move on to the next topic here. Vehicle to grid, where energy, distributed energy, and e-mobility meet. Is that hot or hype? This is like a lot of similar topics, such as energy storage and transactive energy, where I kind of put a lot of them in the same bucket as right now, they're cold. But the important thing to think about is these are all exponential technologies and they're all converging. So while they may be just at the lower slope of the exponential growth, in a few years from now, they're really going to be taking off. So you can't sleep on them. And the most important thing to realize is that they are growing exponentially. So, and they're all converging and helping one another. So, for instance, with computers, you know, Moore's Law and how computer processing has doubled for decades every 18 months, where 30 years ago, computing the size of a the room, then 10 years later, fit on the size of your desk, then 10 years ago, you could hold it in the palm of your hand, and in five years from now, you're going to have that computing power on the something the size of the grain of rice. Same thing applies with all these other technologies. And once they start converging with the 5G network and the Internet of Things, energy storage, all these technologies are going to be coming together to dramatically change the way our industry looks right now for this energy generation. Right now, a lot of it in isolation doesn't look overly exciting. But once you start realizing, like with 5G, People think the 5G networks is just going to be faster download of your videos and higher resolution. But it's not just that. It's the bandwidth to all these devices that are now cheap, and you'll be able to put one on every module or every cell. Every one of those is going to have cell phone service and good bandwidth. And the computer chip itself, that's the size of a grain of rice, is going to cost pennies. So now all of a sudden, You have all these devices that are communicating, and that's what they refer to as the Internet of Things. And then other technologies like blockchain that right now you're saying, what problem does that solve? It seems like it's a cumbersome solution to a simple problem right now. Well, that's because things are simple. But once you have all these technologies that start converging and growing exponentially, then things like blockchain do become very valuable for this more complex future where all these technologies start coming to play with energy storage and this mobile storage and how does that play with all of this? Things are going to get really exciting in the future, but right now they're still lukewarm, but they're going to heat up in a hurry. And you just got to keep that in mind that whatever changes we had in technology over the next 10 years, 
we're going to get a lot more over just the next five years alone. And in 10 years from now, I don't think we're going to recognize the industry, the energy industry as anything of what it's like today. Fantastic. That might be one of the best answers I've heard for this question to date. I love that you said, don't sleep on this. <laughs> so, uh, well, you mentioned blockchain and a lot of folks have sort of mixed feelings around blockchain, in particular around the applications. It's early days. I mean, blockchain is still uh, in the womb. It, you know, we haven't even really birthed anything that is worth looking at yet. I would love to hear your thoughts on blockchain as it relates to energy, hot or hype? Uh, right now, it's hype. Because we don't have the problems that need to be solved by it quite yet. Mm. We don't have the supporting technology that will allow us to implement the transactive energy and letting one neighbor sell electrons and energy to someone down the street. But once all these other technologies start coming to play, then blockchain is going to be getting very hot and be an important part of the puzzle to making all this happen. Well, Rick, I know there's one thing in particular that's hot on your plate (laughs) in terms of how you figure it out, but I'm curious if there's an element of it that is hype. I've been hearing about the rapid shutdown, which we're going to talk about in detail, but you know, it feels to me like it may be a little hypey. Everybody's been looking at rapid shutdown for coming down the pike for, you know, for a while now. And it seems like now everyone's saying, oh, this is going to cost too much. That feels a little bit like hype to me and market players trying to push back and say this isn't necessary, but I'm really unsure. I mean, I'm not on the engineering side. Where do you see that? Is it all hype that that folks are saying, well, rapid shutdown is going to increase the cost of systems, et cetera? Everyone sure is talking about rapid shutdown, but we don't really have a choice to make it hot or hype because it needs to be hot either way. Mm -hmm. The 2017 National Electrical Code had a provision that on January 1st of 2019, that these new rapid shutdown rules came into effect. And this is currently in 27 of the states. California will go into effect January 1st of 2020. New York and New Jersey will this year. So it's the codes that are going to force us to comply with the new, newest, latest, greatest. So it's going to be hot out of necessity because mm-hmm. legally we'll be forced to deal with it and gotcha. come up with the solutions for it. Gotcha. I know you're helping your customers do that. And I want to talk about that some more in a bit. I mentioned earlier, you know, you're growing two companies at the same time. You've been on quite a hiring spree with both companies in 2018. One of the things I find interesting with entrepreneurs is how they choose to grow their company, how they surround themselves. You mentioned earlier, part of how you made the decision was that you've surrounded yourselves with good thinkers, independent thinkers. I know from our experience together that you're focused on creating and growing managers that can go on to lead other companies. One of the things that you've said to me in the past that really sticks out to me is my employees will know me more for my management training than anything else. Can you expound on how you go about identifying and surrounding yourself with top talent and then building on their skill sets with training? Sure. Well, it all starts with first realizing kind of a problem in the solar industry in general with leadership and managers. Problem is, for instance, take an electrician and you can have your electrician that's the best one at installing, at pulling wire. They spend several years becoming a subject matter expert on how to do installations. Then a company typically says, great, you're our best installer, our best electrician. Put down your tools. You're now a manager. 
And that's a completely different skill set than what made them great at their position. And the same thing applies to engineers, to accountants, to salesmen, that the skill sets, the tactical skill sets that made them great is not the skill sets to be a manager. And because our industry is so young, we don't have these generations of worth of trained seasoned leaders that are mentors. We're a very young industry who are creating a lot of our own managers and leaders. And I realized that we needed to focus on this training for management so that when we take our top-notch technical people and put them into a management role, that we're putting them in a position to succeed. Mm-hmm. And don't wait necessarily till they're in that role to start teaching them management. Start te- teaching them before they're even a manager. So that's what I've been doing for many years here is really focusing on the management side of things. And it's been a, an interesting challenge because I've realized that management isn't like a lot of other technical knowledge where you can just memorize things like you can memorize the electrical codes, Hmm. you can memorize the equations in a pro forma or tax laws. Management is a lot different. You can't just read a book, memorize it and go the next day and start being a top notch manager. I like to parallel it to dancing. You can read a book on dancing. You can memorize in your head every single step you need to do. But when you step out on that dance floor, you're not going to be able to do any of those moves. You're going to have to slowly think, I do this, then that. You'll be, you'll be tripping over yourself. <laughs> right. In a lot of ways, management is the same way, that you need to practice it each day and that you practice it over and over again until it becomes automatic. In the heat of the moment, you can't just be there in a meeting with your client or who you're trying to manage and have these situations come up and every five seconds pause and say, what did this book say about this situation? Ah, What did that book say about that situation? You need to make these things automatic and keep practicing them until it's like muscle memory. And that's a lot different than the technical side of engineering or any other areas in business where you can memorize things, you can read books and... So once you realize that it's a different type of skill set in that regards, really focused on trying to help all my people practice those skills, be aware of them, turn them into habits and grow. And it's worked really well. So um, my companies right now, it's kind of easy running them because I have so many people that have been here for so many years that have become seasoned leaders and managers that they're just doing a great job. And it's really exciting. You know, I would like some more tactical insight into how you help them develop that muscle memory in non-game time, non-on-the-field, right? Like, how, what does that practice look like in, in reality? Sure. Well, first, there's so many things that I put under the umbrella of management. You know, you got time management, delegating, holding accountable, strategic planning, priorities, conflict resolution. It could go on and on. The key thing to realize is you can only work on a few things at a time. So you got to really figure out what is one of the most important things for each individual at their particular situation and only practice a couple of those skills every day for a few weeks or a few months. You may have heard the saying that it takes 2,000 or 5,000 or 10,000 hours, depending on who you ask, the, all these hours to really master a habit. And that's the case here. So I really help each team member see 
what's the challenge they're dealing with right now? And what is the skill that will help them? And try to make sure that they work on that just one or two things at a time for several weeks and not try to do 10 or 20 different things at the same time because that's too much. You're not going to turn it into a habit and make it automatic if you're trying to do all these things that you have to constantly think about. You know, as an engineer, I imagine that you guys, you have a habit of tracking all types of different metrics. How do you, as the leader, help them measure against the progress? Is there a way that you've instituted? Do you have software that you use? How do you really track, especially given that you're, helping and in, in inf- infusing your thought process into a number of other folks in your company? Sure. That's an interesting question and something I worked on all of last year because in 2019, we wanted to do 40% more revenue on the pure power side. But I wanted to do that without hiring another engineer. Go into 2019 with 21 engineers and then with the same 21 engineers and yet managed to do 40% more than we did last year. And in order to do that, you need to make sure that everyone is improving, that everyone's increasing their efficiency. So our goal is to have everyone improve by 25% with their efficiency and output for the year. And we said, okay, over the first 50 weeks of 2019, that translates to half a percent improvement per week. From week to week, people don't feel half a percent improvement. They have some weeks that are a little better, a little down. You don't feel half a percent just mm-hmm. looking at it. You right. need metrics that measure that and can help show you the trend and how you're actually doing. So we did spend all last year with coming up with lots of metrics of efficiency and output and how they're doing against the budgets so that we can show them each week issue the reports to them and let them see, are they making progress on their goals? So they can see that all these things that they're working on, what is working, what might not be working as well? How do we course correct to figure out who might not be growing as quickly as they could? And it's been really exciting. And all the team here has been really excited about it because now they see a little bit more concrete figures and they're real excited to show that improvement to hit our goals that it's been really well received and it's gonna be really exciting this year watching everyone grow. Hey, simple question. When was the last time you were truly delighted at a customer support interaction? My friends at Helioscope do their best to delight their customers every single day and that's why dozens of solar developers have claimed Helioscope has the best customer support they've ever seen. Not just in the solar industry, but in all their interactions. See for yourself. Head to mysuncast.com and click the Helioscope banner on the homepage. And as a Suncast listener, you'll be gifted an extra 30 days to your free trial. That's 60 free days to see what Helioscope can do for you. Find out why more solar companies trust Helioscope than any other design program on the market. Does your current asset management software provider call just to check in? If you're already using PowerHub, well, I know your answer is yes. See, when you're using PowerHub's asset management software, your customer success specialist is your guide and advocate. PowerHub's not just a software provider, they're a partner for your growth. And their seasoned customer success team is known throughout the industry for helping developers spot and address core business inefficiencies. They have the largest customer success team in the industry for a reason, so that your business grows not just bigger, but better. 
with Power Hub in your corner. Go to powerhub.com forward slash suncast to learn more. You know, back to this theme of helping to create better engineering for clients. I know that one of the ways that your team focuses on designing systems is both helping reduce the CapEx, the upfront expenditure to build a project, and the OpEx, the, the back end. And they, they neatly tie, right, Pure Power on CapEx and PV Pros on OpEx. Help me understand how you guys as an, as an entity think about helping customers reduce CapEx and OpEx. The first interesting challenge is the trade-off for it because there's lots of things you can do to improve the operating performance and reduce the budget, but that could increase the capital cost up front. And the developers don't necessarily want to go and start gold plating their systems. They'll say, yeah, it may make it cheaper to maintain in year 10, but if I don't get my price down, there won't even be a project to maintain in year 10. So you have to be aware of that trade-off and make sure that you're finding ways to improve the operating expense, the generation that comes out of it, that you can do all that without affecting the cost up front. And that's the real interesting challenges. And we have come up with all sorts of things that have been really effective in doing that, being able to improve the operation without increasing the cost of the system. Can you give any concrete examples of ways that uh, a listener might think through that that same trade-off? Sure. First is a very small challenge that has a simple solution. So these string inverters, you don't really repair string inverters anymore. You just swap them out at this point. And you have these 150 pound string inverters that, you know, let's say they're mounted on a wall and you need to replace it. The norm is to have metal conduit going up to the bottom of it, whether it's EMT or rigid. And when you try to remove that inverter, you have to pull the wires, the inverter up over the wires, and then try to put the new one back in. It's actually really challenging if you've ever tried to do it, to try to maneuver that thing up and over the existing wires that are still sitting there and then feed it back in where you have multiple conduits. It's really difficult and takes a long time for two or three guys to do. Mm. But if you just use flexible metal conduit or PVC coated MC cable, you can go in with flexible conduit to the bottom. Therefore, when it comes time to replace that inverter, you can just pull away the conduits and wire without having to take the inverter off yet. Once all the wires are clear, pull the inverter off, put the new one on, quick slip the flexible conduits back in and terminate. You can replace the inverter in a fraction of the time. So there's no extra cost to do that. So now we really encourage our developers and put in our designs to use that technique for terminating and inverters to make it easier to service. Wow, that's, a, that's actually an ingenious way of reducing both CapEx and OpEx. And it, well, as you said, it doesn't necessarily reduce CapEx. It's about the same cost, but on the OpEx side, certainly makes it faster and easier and more safe to swap these inverters out. That's really insightful. I appreciate that. Any other uh, examples that you'd like to give of, of, of ways that you've addressed this? Sure. Staying on the topic of the string inverters and carports. So I see a lot of pictures and magazines and online of people mounting the inverters up on the carport columns. And that may sound nice on the surface, but from an O&M standpoint, that's a bit of a nightmare. 
as well as for the installation. It's, it's very expensive to do it that way. We recommend that you actually take those inverters off the columns of the carports and aggregate them in an area. Put them, just put a pad or an area, have all your string inverters off to the side and run your DC from the array down the column underground and up to the inverters. This does a few things. First, from the O&M standpoint, it's so much easier to replace your inverters. If you have those inverters up on a column and you ever need to replace it, you need to get a man lift. So you need to get mm -hmm. the cost of renting a man lift, the challenge of being up 10, 15 feet and trying to replace this 150 pound inverter with all these wires and conduits in the bottom, extremely difficult. Right. If it's at ground level, it's much easier to service, to do the tests, to do any voltage tests, IV curve tracing you may need to do. You could do it safely at ground level rather than having to slowly be up in the air. This also reduces capital expense because it's expensive to run monitoring to every single carport structure, to run your AC that might be at 280 or 480 volts, to run that to every inverter. If you're going to have a 1,000 volt DC or even 1,500 volt is allowed in carports on the ground, you have that high voltage. Take advantage of that for voltage drop. Put those inverters off to the side. Use the higher voltage for that longer run and end up reducing your wire costs. Also with the monitoring, as I mentioned, rather than running it from column to column, if you have all your inverters mounted in the same location, then you can quickly just daisy chain them a couple feet next to each other rather than going underground next to the canopy back up underground next canopy and back up mm -hmm. so it's really the best of both worlds and something we've been doing with the majority of our designs over the last year or two and really helping our, our pure powers clients reduce their capital expense as well as pv pros's asset management clients helping make it easier and cheaper to service and maintain those systems I love it, Rick Ivins. You are clearly an expert at uh, this topic and your team who, you, who you've put together is in fact helping your clients reduce the stress of thinking about these problems as well as the stress of having these problems rear their ugly head on in the field, both installation as well as operations and maintenance. And you guys are thought leaders. I love that you are always thinking about the ways that you can help empower your team and others around you. And as such, I know that you look at those mentors from your life and your career. Some of them are author, authors and virtual mentors, but I'd love to hear what are the key lessons and takeaways for you from the most important folks that you uh, have learned from or, or surrounded yourself with in life? One of my most important mentors is uh, Steve Jobs. Even though I never met him or never knew him, and I hear he's a bit of a jerk, he was brilliant in many ways. And a few of my core things I believe in really came from him. Uh, first is about focusing. You know, there's been very few people that have been a good at just focusing on some things. And I always think about it. Almost every day of the week, I tell someone to make sure they focus. And he ha I have all sorts of quotes up on my wall from him. And one of the key things is where he said, you think that focusing is about saying yes, which isn't it. Focusing is about saying no. And when you say no, you piss people off. 
And Steve Jobs always talked about how proud he was of saying no to a thousand ideas and saying yes to only the one or two really great ideas. And in an industry like this, where there's so much opportunity and so many things going on, you might be tempted to go out and grab more than you should. And you got to remember to focus. Don't try to be a jack of all trades focus on what you can really do great and bring value at and put all your effort into that. And that's what I have to remind people all the time because there's just so, so many ambitious people here that have so many great ideas. It's tough to say no to some really good ideas, but everyone knows sometimes that's what you got to do and save the yes for the very few truly exceptional ideas. I'd love to know if there are anything, any, any of those uh, ideas that you did say yes to that in retrospect maybe weren't, uh, they were dead ends or you had to pivot away from them. Any any of those sort of uh, roadblocks that you've overcome in your career or life? Uh, sure. Uh, as I spoke about earlier, trying to do three different businesses at once was quite a bit of a challenge and went against this, this principle of focus. There was an opportunity there. You can have a business and make money in engineering and installation and O&M. So mm-hmm. let's do it all and make lots of money. Mm-hmm. But in the long run, you actually do multiple things a little less good and it doesn't quite work out as well in the end. So that was an important lesson that I learned as I went that I probably should have come to that realization sooner and uh, started to focus a little bit earlier in my life. Yeah, I'm hearing the theme of focus here run through, and I love it. And as we mentioned before, you have uh, learned a lot, uh, and and you infuse that into the culture of your company through the books that you have read. So for those familiar with our show, uh, you'll know that I believe that readers are leaders and leaders are readers. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, Rick, uh, a consummate reader. What books have you recommended or gifted the most and why? Over the past year, the the biggest theme is regarding habits. So the two books I've been telling people about is The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg and Atomic Habits by James Clear. They're both really dive into habits and help you understand that there's more to it than just it's not about smoking or drinking or eating junk food, that habits are actually a key in your life and business. And they're essentially automated actions for handling a situation and made reference to this a little bit earlier about the management topics, but that's really the case. And there's a really interesting passage in, in the power of habit that talks about the biological aspect of habits that when you first start to try to do something that your one part of your brain, the frontal cortex is what does that. And all the blood flow to the brain is there as you try to figure out how to do this one skill. And then as you get better and better at it and it starts to become automated and you don't need to think, the neural pathways change where it's now the basal ganglia part of your brain is that's doing it, where it's more automated. And I thought that was really brilliant that it's not just a cute saying to say, oh, you got to keep practicing it till it's a habit. It's actually a biological function of how your brain works that if you keep practicing something, it starts operating in a different part of your brain where you don't even think about it. It happens automatically. And so all these habits of, that you want to incorporate about business and the management side of things, uh, this really, when you listen to these books through the, the perspective of that, it really gives you 
a lot of information and wakes you up to the fact, well, I really need to practice all these skills. I can't just read it, think I'm going to memorize it and pull it up when I need it. Earlier, you mentioned uh, a need for our industry to really begin to teach management skills. It's something that's lacking, not just technical skill. A lot of folks in the PV industry are really focused on getting an APSEP certification or getting the technical skill, the know-how to talk about the, the, the photovoltaic elements, the technical elements when they're in a conversation with folks. What have you used yourself or recommended to your team around teaching management skills? Sure. Well, first, the NABSEP certification is very important. So I do still see the value in all the technical training. Don't let me uh, tell you that or make you think that it's not still important. But as these individuals grow from an entry-level position that may be 100% tactical as they slowly get promoted and go to assistant manager, to manager, to senior manager, that they need to start doing more and more of their percentage of work is strategic and management rather than the tactical day-to-day tasks. My employees and my team members start going up the ladder and start getting promoted. I really want to make sure I'm teaching them beforehand, especially things like time management and managing people so that as they get promoted, they already have the skill set that they need rather than they need to learn it by trial by fire. There's always a certain amount of that, but I want to make sure that they're prepared beforehand. And really, time management is the number one thing. And how you structure your day, uh, budgets for time, how you prioritize things. Everyone says that's important, but when you really start diving into it and realizing how much you can really get done in your day, when you strategically plan out your time, when you're constantly thinking about priorities for your to-do list, there's nothing that's more powerful than that. So that's really the first thing that I focus on uh, when teaching management is that Time management is by far the most powerful management skill. And you got to learn how to manage time for yourself first before you could start to manage time for others. While I don't have a single book recommendation that addresses time management because it's so multifaceted, I've developed a curriculum for everyone in the company and we've been doing management lessons management training where we all get together and talk about certain topics where I do give them just an article here or an audio clip here that's 15 minutes, little bits and pieces from different things about a particular subject like habits or scheduling or time management, the 80-20 Pareto principle, different things similar to that, that we really all sit down and talk about a very short clip or audio clip and it's, it's been really great for everyone to get together and really take these management topics seriously and only do one every few weeks so that they could focus on one at a time. I'd love to hear from you if there's a habit or consistent practice that has had the greatest impact on your life. Probably the greatest impact is just training yourself to think about the 80-20 rule, also mm-hmm. known as Pareto principle, realizing that 80% of the benefit comes from 20% of the actions that you take and tying that together with the law of diminishing returns. You can keep working on something, but at a certain point, you get diminishing returns on that. And for me to manage two companies and to do all the education and get involved in all sorts of other things in personal and professional life, 
it's a lot to take on and you got to really be optimizing yourself at all time. So training yourself, getting your habit of always thinking the 80, 20 rule, get in, do something till you get the maximum value. Once you start getting some diminishing returns on it, pull out and start something new. That way you're always operating at maximum benefit. And it's been a great habit. Something I think about almost every hour of every day and it helps me decide what I should be working on. And it's been really great for me. Well, Rick, where can people find you if they want to reach out and touch base? Twitter, LinkedIn, email? What's the best way to reach? I'm most active on LinkedIn. And you could also check out the websites, purepower.com and pvpros.com. Well, I'll certainly link to your LinkedIn, Richard Ivins, and to the websites for your individual companies. One question before we have our final question, is there anything that the Suncast audience can do to help? Anything that comes to mind for you? Just keep going out there and developing the projects. Engineers and asset managers like uh, in my companies, we can't do our job unless all you are out there hitting the streets, going door to door, going to all the corporations and selling the projects, keeping track of all these new financial products, all the incentives that are coming and going. That's a huge challenge. And I applaud everyone that's out there making it happen because you got to sell all these projects before we get a chance to do what we can do. So thank you very much for all the hard work everyone's doing with that. Fantastic. Well, let's end today with a bold prediction as you always do. What one thing do you see happening in the market that perhaps nobody else is tracking, Rick? What's in your crystal ball? That there's going to be big changes in technology coming up that our job is simple right now compared to how it's going to be in five years and especially 10 years from now. The amount of technical challenges as we incorporate all these different technologies, things are going to get real hard, but I welcome the challenge. It's going to get exciting, but everyone else needs to realize that things are going to change quick and make sure you're prepared for it. I love it. Well, Rick Ivins, you and your team at Pure Power and PV Pros are certainly prepared and preparing. For those of you who would like to reach out to Rick, please check out the uh, blog where we've got his contact information, sir. A true joy to have you on the show sharing from your technical well of expertise. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. And that's a wrap with today's solar warrior, Rick Ivins, founder of Pure Power Engineering and PV Pros. I was frantically taking notes during our interview, and I've listed the resources and highlights from the discussion on the blog. If you would like to dive deeper into the topic of value engineering solar projects, or just learn more about Rick and his companies, then click on that listen link at mysuncast.com. That'll take you to the episodes page where you can get the show notes, social media and website links, incredible book recommendations, and a link to Rick's company blog page all about value engineering and more. And while you're at mysuncast.com, please do check out our Suncast tribe, where you can be a part of our inner circle of solar warriors and trusted advisors. Click on the Become a Member button to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe to the newsletter while you're there, so you're always notified when the next episode is out. I also share goodies there, so go ahead, give me that email. And tribe members, as I mentioned last week, we'll be having our first office hours coming next Friday. So do keep an eye out for that email in your inbox, as well as a message in Slack. So happy to have spent time with you today, my friend. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.